I don't know if I slept enough today or what, but the words don't want to come out of my mouth hole the right way today. <laughs> um, Welcome back to Royals Weekly. I'm your host, Marcus Mead, and with me as always, a man who somehow frequently puts his pants on no legs at a time, my brother, Mike. Hello, cruel world. <laughs> Mike, how many Dairy Queens you been kicked out of for not having any pants on? Uh, that's none of your damn business. Okay. All right. We'll keep it at that. <laughs> we'll let your life be your life. Uh, we want to start this episode by wishing a happy Father's Day to the male child havers out there. That's not our cup of tea, really, but God bless you for doing the one thing you think about 24 hours a day in an effort to ultimately produce a child. Good job. Hey, wow. That's great stuff. Yeah. Great stuff. Dad's out there. Nicely. Wear, wear more jean shorts, too. You deserve it. <laughs> wear more socks with sandals. Yeah. Uh, it's your day. Uh, as always, we want to start by thanking those who have subscribed, rated, and reviewed us. The dads out there who have subscribed, rated, and reviewed are the better dads. They're the good ones. That's right. Um, Those are the dads we really respect. Yes. Well done. You're truly being a good father for subscribing, <laughs> rating, and reviewing to a Royals podcast. Uh, it's so important that you do subscribe, especially at the very least, it takes one button to subscribe. All you do is hit one button. It's a little harder to rate and review, but not much. So subscribing takes nothing. Please make sure you do that. Uh, we're really happy with those who have subscribed and rated and reviewed so far. Uh, we had a, another great review from a listener called Sunflower816, uh, who wrote, Your passion and knowledge for the game makes this podcast exciting to listen to. I'm learning a lot. Thank you so much, Sunflower816. Uh, we're glad you're learning a lot. We're learning a lot, too, about how to do this, about different things. I hope the passion's coming through because we have a blast doing it, just joking around and then cracking wise. It's lots and of fun. talking royals. Yep, talking Royals to all the Royalies out there, to all Some, the uh, <laughs> to all the Royals Weekly scumbags, or <laughs> what are we calling them? The Royals I don't know. We, I thought we had one that was pretty good. The Rowdies, yeah, the Rowdies, the Royals Weekly Rowdies. A little harder to say, but we'll make it happen. Yeah. Uh, before we get into our review of last week, we want to answer a listener question. We got a listener question sent in. Just a reminder: you can always send us questions via Twitter via email at royalsweeklypod at gmail.com, via Facebook. Uh, if you run into us on the streets, you can just start shouting questions at us. That's all totally fine. We deal with people shouting us in public all the time. Mm -hmm. So we got a question in uh, about something we discussed last week on the show about the difference between major league players being drafted and NFL players being drafted. And it's a, the question is essentially what factors into first round picks being so hit or miss in major league baseball in comparison to the NFL? Mike, you want to tackle this first and then I'll, I'll sort of chime in? Yeah. Uh, the one thing I'll start to talk about is a lack of data. So a lot of the players that you end up getting in Major League Baseball draft are either college players or they are high school players. Now, not only that, you talk about, okay, this kid came from a four-year university where he played college baseball. That's the most information that you'll get on a kid. But even then, you don't have enough scouts and enough video to cover every game that a kid plays in his college career at a four-year university. It just doesn't happen. You can get numbers from those places, but then you also have to think about, well, if this kid's playing in this league, how good is that league relative to this player? Okay. So the data can then be, you may have data, but it's skewed if you want to think of it that way. Um, as you go down junior college, you have even less uh, information on those junior college players. 
Okay. And then you go down to high school. Now at high school, the game has kind of changed a little bit because of all the showcase circuits that kids can go to. But even then you still have <clears throat> less information about those high school kids. And you're talking about a kid who's 18 years old. A kid's going to change a lot from 18 to 25. Some kids will change physically, some won't. Um, and so being able to project a lot of that stuff is very difficult. But I, what I think it ultimately boils down to is a lack of data and sometimes a lack of quality data for uh, those guys. In the NFL, you have tons of data because guys have one avenue they can take to get to the NFL pretty much. And from college football, you get tons and tons and tons of data. It's easy to know what their level of competition is a lot of times. And uh, yeah, it just makes it a lot easier to understand the type of player that you're drafting. And the fact that guys have to spend three years in college football before they move on to the NFL means that they're going to do a lot of the physically developing that they're going to do in college. Yeah. So you don't have to try and project that development out. It's already done. been done by the time that they, they're they ready to get drafted in the NFL. That's not universal. Occasionally, a guy will develop a little more physically or they'll develop sort of slightly around the edges after they get into the NFL. But most of the physical changes that they're going to undergo uh, have already happened by the time they're getting drafted into the NFL. You're doing a lot more projection, especially for high school guys, junior college guys. You're doing a lot more projection of the physicality uh, when you're talking about Major League Baseball. So it's a lot easier to miss. Um, it's also just a, that so many different things go into being successful in baseball, right? So in the NFL or in football, you know, you, you do have to be smart and you have to be technical and you have to sort of know your position and know what you're doing. But if you're a running back, there are only so many things that you need to know how to do. In baseball, there is like a thousand different things that go into any one pitch, that go into any one at bat, that go into any one fielding play. There's just a lot to know and do. And Baseball also, to some degree, plays mind games with that anybody who does it. It's a sport of failure. And so that's another added dimension to it that often can derail a player, not to mention the regular things that could derail an NFL career, like injury and things like that. And so, especially for pitchers, and that's another sort of big thing that nobody talks about as to why MLB players don't make it. It's that half of the players are pitchers and pitcher attrition is really high. So you can draft a pitcher out of college who looks like he's going to be the world's greatest star. Think somebody like, if you've never heard of him, Mark Pryor, who was a second overall pick for the Cubs, was really successful in the major leagues for like one season, but got hurt and never made it or never sort of amounts to anything. Or Danny Holson, who was a draft pick of the uh, Seattle Mariners, spent his whole professional career being hurt and getting injured and washed out of baseball. That's sort of that happens so frequently in Major League Baseball. If you're a deep Royals guy, think of Ash Russell and Nolan Watson. You know, Nolan Watson, we hope right now, starting to make a comeback, but for four years now, he's been struggling to do anything in minor league baseball. These were two high school kids the Royals took out of Indiana. And I don't think in the Ash first, does in the first in round. The first round. Yeah. And I don't, I'm not sure if Ash Russell still plays anymore. I think Nolan. he's trying to slowly work his way back too, but uh, yeah. yeah. But uh, neither one looks like they're extremely close. Right now, Nolan Watson is pitching in double A. Uh, but he's like 24, 25 years old at this point. Uh, looks, you know, it's it, it's a long, long shot that Ash Russell would ever make it to the major leagues. It's a semi, maybe Nolan Watson will someday. But you know, these are both guys who you would not consider uh, hits in the first round. And so and both both just, of them have had injury problems uh, mm -hmm. and other other things on top of that. Even yeah, so it's just it, there's just so much that goes into 
um, making it as a professional baseball player. Whereas as an NFL player, by the time you're ready to get drafted, they pretty much know, okay, you're going to be able to contribute to an NFL team we, because we know a lot about you and because there's just not as much at play, I guess, in the success of an NFL player. One thing that I'll throw in there too, because you just kind of sparked it in my mind, the difference between a college season and a major and a professional baseball season or a high school season and a professional baseball season is astronomical. The right. difference in, and, in playing that and even like in the minors where you play 130 games or whatever it is, that is crazy. The schedule difference is crazy. In football, the schedule difference is about the same from the time you're in high school through the NFL. Now, the NFL is longer, but you've got one game a week in all of those, and that's just how it goes. So you're used to that schedule. You're used to a lot of different things. Not, oh my gosh, we're getting ready to travel across the country and play seven games in a row. You know, yeah. So, and the difference in quality of play, right? We think of like the professional ranks and college ranks is right next to each other, but that's not the case in baseball, right? Like uh, the SEC, which is the best conference in college baseball, is roughly equivalent to low A at the major or in in professional baseball, right? So the jump from like college to major league baseball is enormous huge mm-hmm. let alone the jump from high school to major league baseball so of course along the way you're going to have a lot of people sort of falling off even in the first round who aren't going to make it right because the just jump in competition is enormous whereas the jump from college football to the nfl is big in competition really big but for first round talent guys who are sort of the elite of the elite it's not like astronomical in the way that um the jump from college to the major leagues is uh, so that's sort of why first round picks in major league baseball frequently don't make it. Whereas in the NFL, almost all of them contribute to an NFL team in some way. So thank you very much for the question that came in. We really appreciate it. That was from uh, my we'll brother-in-law, in- A-Train. Yeah, that was from A-Train, Mike's brother-in-law. We'll get into last week. Let's jump into that uh, baseball. As always, we'll start with some roster news for last week. Uh, a lot of it kind of happened. A lot of things happen, injury type things. Um, so we'll, we'll break that down to get everybody caught up. I think sort of the biggest blow for the Royals, uh, we'll see, depending on Adabout Armandi's injury status, is that uh, the Royals put Andrew Benintendi on the 10-day injured list with a rib fracture, a right rib fracture. Turns out he fractured one of his ribs, and people weren't really sure why. It sort of came out of nowhere that this happened, but he is now on the 10-day injured list. The Royals, for a moment, brought up Edward Olivares to fill his roster spot, but then sent him right back down a couple of days later. So uh, there was a lot of outrage and, and sort of uproar. I was a little upset because... I don't like them treating Olivares this way. I think he is deserves a legitimate chance to prove himself as a major league uh, outfielder. And yet they're sort of treating him like a non-prospect by sort of just having him come up to fill roles and things like that. Instead of letting him get consistent at bats wherever he is and giving him a chance to showcase himself at the major league level, they're not really doing that. And he hasn't done anything, in my opinion, to sort of not be given a chance. If you look at somebody like, say, Nicky Lopez, who has been given chance after chance after chance after chance after chance to prove that he can make it and looks like he's doing pretty well lately don't know i'm not like sold or anything but you know he's been given almost a thousand plate appearances at this point olivares has been given what 200 maybe <laughs> you know uh, 300 400 um so i'd, I'd like to get see him get, be given a chance instead of being toyed with and sent up and down all over again but right now that's what the royals are doing to him benintendi on the il of course that's been a huge a uh, blow to the offensive production of the Kansas City Royals. The Royals also activated Adaberto Mondesi from the injured list. And uh, for a while, he was just 
he really hit the ground running. I say I say running, but he actually wasn't running. If you saw him going to first base, he was more jogging like around. A jog, yeah. It was like a light jog, brisk jog. Could be a brisk jog, yeah. yeah. He did a brisk jog into second today. Almost got tagged out, but sort of avoided the tag. Um, but was unwilling to slide and and is unwilling to run out uh, things to first base because he's his hamstring is clearly not one hundred percent. And then again today in today's game, they pulled him again because he felt something in his side. No word yet on what that something is. Could be the oblique again. Could be something else. Who knows? Without a bear tomorrow. Maybe he broke his rib too. Maybe. Who knows? Um, and so apparently we'll it's easy to if, do. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> apparently, uh, it's it's a it's going around this whole yeah. breaking a rib thing. So watch out, everybody out there. Um, so yeah, we'll see if they end up putting him back on IL. That would just be devastating. But uh, he is just struggling to stay healthy when he's in the game. Awesome! Hit two Monster. doubles today. Hit a home run in this little stretch he's played. Just unbelievable, unbelievably talented. Looks like he has now gotten just comfortable coming off and on the IL and just hitting like that's all he does and so hopefully this isn't an il stint hopefully it's a day off and he's fine but with knowing his history i, I would not put money on that in any way shape or form they, the royals also had to do another really disappointing thing and that is they put ronald bolaños on the 60-day il 60-day il is the long-term injured list it's where you go when you got a big time problem and that's really disappointing because bolaños was pitching really well out of the bullpen for them with a heavy sinker, looked super impressive going two or three innings at a time in the, out of the bullpen. But he had some forearm soreness, some forearm pain. Oftentimes that signals a UCL injury, which is what you get Tommy John for. So we'll see what sort of the ultimate uh, diagnosis is for him. But for right now, he's going to be on the IL for quite a while. They also, the Royals, as a corresponding move, brought up veteran relief pitcher Anthony Swarzak. He's a guy they signed uh, as a free agent this year from, I think he got released by Arizona. Really high ERA for the year, but he came up and he pitched one relief inning. He's 35 years old. He's been pitching in mostly Omaha. He's the type of guy who's just there to sort of fill innings. But uh, he he pitched one cleaning for the Royals and, and is currently still on the roster because really they don't have anybody else. Uh, and so real, real thin at pitching right now for the Kansas City Royals. Here's the question. Where's Richard Lovelady? Good question. He's in Omaha. Do we do we just hate him so much? We, like, I mean, it really tells you a lot what they think of Richard Lovelady at this point. Uh, he's probably he really does. Although he was hurt a little bit earlier in the year, so I don't know if he was like coming off of that. But he's pitching now. I, they clearly don't think much of him if they don't think that he can come up. Uh, if they don't want to bring him up, uh, instead they want to bring up Anthony Swarzak, a guy who just signed with the team and who we know that at the major league level is not anything special. Yeah, that's not it's not a good sign for Richard Lovelady. Sadly, they also the Royals also got another dealt another injury blow today when Cam Gallagher came down with shoulder impingement syndrome. And so he's got some shoulder issues. They put him on the 10 day injured list, but I've never seen this injury go that quickly. So I'm guessing that's just a, a move to sort of save space for now. Wait and see and then maybe move him to a longer uh, or just keep him on there and expect that he's going to be hurt for a little longer than that. Um, the Royals brought up Sebastian Rivero again to fill in as backup catcher. He's been having a really good season in Omaha, so it's nice to see him get some looks at the major league level. He won't play a ton, just like Cam doesn't play a ton. But hopefully when he does play, he gets a chance to show what he can do because he's really, really good defensive catcher. Looks like he's handling the bat well in Omaha. I hope he gets a chance to showcase himself here with the Royals this this in this stretch. Yeah, I'm excited to see him at the major league level hit mostly because I know what the, the glove's going to be. So, yeah, 
This week was a little bit of a weird week for the Royals. They went two and four uh, this week, and that brings their overall record to 32 and 38. It was weird because they started the week by getting swept by the lowly Detroit Tigers, a team that has now swept them twice. And that's disappointing. Yeah. Not expected to be any good this year, the Tigers. They have started to play better. Their pitching staff is looking pretty good with Casey Mize, uh, Tarek Skubal, Matthew Boyd. They're all pitching pretty well. But, man, it was tough to get swept at home by the Detroit Tigers. Things were real low uh, at the end of that series. A lot of uh, talk about, like, J- Dayton Moore should be fired. Cal Edwards should be fired. I agree with that one. But, um, <laughs> you know, a lot of just talk about fire everybody, get rid of all that, blow it all up, and restart over again. But then Boston Red Sox came to town. Boston Red Sox are a good team, second in the AL East. Actually, first now. Uh, they're first in the AL East. And the Royals took two of three from them and started looking like a really good team in some games. First game of the series, they looked really good. Third game of the series, they looked really good. Second game, not so much. But that means they got two wins from this week and beat a really good team in the Red Sox. Why can't we beat the Detroit Tigers? That's my question. Uh, <laughs> offense is not good. Their offense, I mean, their their best offensive weapon is 155-year-old Miguel Cabrera or Robbie Grossman, who, I mean, come on, he's not He's bad. really only their best weapon against the Royals. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he kills the he Royals. He the it. Royals. But, um, yeah, I just that's very frustrating. A team in your division who is not good that you can't beat. Oof. Makes me wonder yeah, if it's not because they've got Matthew Boyd and Scooble, who are both left-handed pitchers. <laughs> yeah, I think it's something profile-wise from the Tigers that are just uh, is a good matchup against the Royals, honestly. And that is Boyd is a is a soft tossing lefty. He seems to know how to beat the Royals. Mize doesn't always pitch really well against us, but you know I think he does well enough most of the time. There's just something about the Tigers this year. They have our number, despite the fact that they are not a good team. Yeah, and so we'll see. I mean, I hope I hope they turn the season series around against them because you don't want to lose. You don't want to look back at the end of the season and say, oh, man, if only we hadn't lost, you know, if only we hadn't gone four games under against the Tigers or something like that. You got to be beating the Tigers, man. That's 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 a terrible team. Uh, I guess the Royals aren't good. And that's that's what's wild for me. It's it's weird to watch them play as well as they did against the Red Sox in a couple of games and as poorly as they did against the Tigers in a couple of games. Right. We mentioned how consistently inconsistent this team is. That just continues to rear its head because. There are games, and I'm just talking about the eye test here, where they look straight up lost, and they look straight up lost in that Tiger series. Then they come out with, against the Red Sox, and I'll note, I will note that they it's typically in games where they play their best defensive lineup, like they have Gerard Dyson out there, they have Whit Merrifield playing right when Mondesi is at short, and Nicky Lopez is at second, and stuff like that. There are games when they have that lineup that look they look really good because they're not making mistakes because they're like getting enough hits here and there, but there are games also when they just look so, so bad. Well, and the, but, the good thing is they're making, they're, not only are they not making mistakes, they're making, they're getting a couple extra outs on plays that you wouldn't expect them to get outs on um, with that when the defensive lineups in there. Um, and so, yeah, I, you know, I, if Modesty could stay healthy, that gives you a big boost defensively. And we've talked about that in the past, but I don't know if that's going to be the case. Yeah, defensively and offensively. I think that's what this real sort of delineation is, is you're seeing the difference 
that he makes, right? You're, well, good Adalberto Mondesi makes an enormous difference to the Kansas City Royals because of the lengthening the lineup, uh, changing the defensive alignment. But the problem is they've put all of their eggs in the Adalberto Mondesi being healthy basket, seemingly, and that's just not paying off frequently because he's not frequently healthy. And so when he's not playing, they look totally different than when he is. I will say that uh, this week's show, despite the fact that the Royals only went two and four, I had a fairly healthy dose of strong performances to choose from this week. Uh, I'm going to talk about Whit Merrifield again because he's just like a roller coaster, uh, but I think he's really broken through at this point. You know, all season long, I've been waiting for this Whit Merrifield breakout. This I'd wait for him to get super hot for a stretch because his numbers have really lagged, and I knew he could go on those long stretches where he's getting multiple hits for multiple games. That seems to be what he's doing this week. He's finally breaking through. He had 12 hits in 26 at-bats this week, four doubles, one home run, three stolen bases, only five strikeouts and two walks. I've been really waiting for this hot streak. He had a home run today. He's looking like he's really capable of setting the table at the top of this lineup right now. I think he's dragged his batting average up quite a bit uh, so far, up near maybe two point not 100% sure, but he's just on unfair right now. And he's also making really good plays in right field where they've sort of struggled defensively with Jorge Soler and Hunter Dozier. He obviously looks like a much like an up serious upgrade in right field over those two. Yeah, I agree with that. And it's good to see because we thought maybe age had started to creep in for wit. And this shows that maybe that's not the case. Maybe he was just in a little bit of a dry spell and he's getting some regression to his mean, which is a lot better than what we've seen. Uh, I'm going to talk about Nikki Lopez. There are some people out there who think that you and I dislike Nikki Lopez uh, or we're haters on Nikki Lopez. We aren't. <laughs> okay. We love Nikki Lopez and we want Nikki Lopez to be a very good player. This week, he was the best version of himself. He had nine hits and 14 at-bats. He had a walk, only one strikeout. He was consistently on base in front of Whit Merrifield, which then creates many, many opportunities for hits and runs, stealing, just him knocking him in. And he played an exceptional defense at second base. So I think long-term, you and I have always thought that Nicky Lopez might be a an off-the-bench kind of guy, a rotational player, uh, for a really good team. The Royals are not a really good team. So having a Nicky Lopez out there every day isn't really a problem when your team isn't going to be top-notch. Let's just put it that way. They have The Royals have bigger problems than Nicky Lopez playing every day. But, it, let me put it this way. If Nicky Lopez plays like this, he, or he has to play like this to be an everyday guy at second base. To be an everyday guy in a major league lineup, I think this is the Nicky Lopez that we have to see. A guy who's going to hit somewhere between, you know, 260 and 275 but his obp is going to be really high so you got to have something in that 340 range to to justify having that guy get 600 at bats in a year or whatever he, you also he also has to play exceptional defense which he did this week as well so yeah that red sox game that first red sox game he just put on a defensive clinic out he there did. he was like yeah. he took over the game defensively almost i mean really doing things that sort of I guess, earned the Royals extra outs at the very least, like, or like I got them outs that normally people wouldn't get. And that just yeah. sort of shortens the game for you. makes things a lot better. Um, and is, a bench, is, is essentially earning runs for your teams in, in different ways. Right. And yeah. so, yeah, and that's, I don't understand why Nikki Lopez has become this, like, I don't know, like 
What's, what's a thing that divides people like uh, wedge issue. why he's become this like <laughs> yes why he's become like this wedge issue this hot button topic this like thing that gets people's passions like inflamed or something like that i was telling mike the other day like why is it that nikki lopez gets 90 percent more conversation than the best players on the royals teams like salvador perez does not get as much conversation as nikki lopez at all right like and i find this very weird there's like a camp out there that wants to like you know, light themselves on fire for Nikki Lopez and anybody who says a word against him or uh, even like uh, when I say a word against him, like an honest critique of him, it's like, it's, bring out the hatchets, boys. It's time to start, you know, going all John Brown on this guy, you know, or something. And I, I don't get that. Like, I understand liking a player or believing that he like a reasonable person can believe that Nikki Lopez has the potential to be an everyday player in the major leagues. I can see that. That's a reasonable point of view. It is not reasonable to uh, say that any piece of criticism against him is a bunch of haters and we need to go after them or like, or anything like that. That's ridiculous, right? Like, I don't feel personally about Nicky Lopez. I don't feel personally about any of the Royals players, right? Like, it is not personal about any of that, right? Like, I want them all to be successful because that means the Royals are winning World Series. I don't know that Nicky Lopez is or should be an everyday player on a good Major League Baseball team. I do think he could be a bench player, a very good one on an everyday major league or on a very good major league baseball team, but maybe he's going to prove to me that he could be an everyday player on a good major league baseball team. He certainly tried to this week, or he certainly did enough this week to show, but I don't base decisions like that or analysis on one week of play, but he did have a very, very good week. Yeah. And that's kind of the the point you could call it. Don't call us Lopez haters. We are Lopez skeptics, perhaps. Like yes, we, we are skeptical skeptic. of him being able to be an everyday major league player, but I do hope he proves me wrong. And, and the, the kind of glimmer of hope I have in that is that this is the type of player that, that he was when he was doing well in minor league baseball. He was the kind of guy that hit the ball to all fields, walked a little bit and was exceptional defensively. Um, and so that's, if there's any glimmer of hope in him being a stalwart at second base for this team, moving into the years when they are a successful team, hopefully, um, it's that he does look like the ver- the best version of himself that we've seen in the past. And so that's yeah. kind of what we hang our hat on or what I hope to hang uh, our hat on moving forward with Nicky Lopez. And like I said, I you may call us skeptics on him, but we hope that he is the guy that yeah. some of those other people want him to be or think he is. No, nobody will be happier if he becomes a successful everyday major league player for the Royals than me. Right. I, I, I have no problem admitting when I'm wrong. And if he sort of continue, if he plays the way he did this week for the rest of the season, I will come out and say I was wrong, right? Like he can be an everyday major league baseball player. Well, and just think a, about this defensively. If, that, if that's the case and he's an everyday guy, when Bobby Witt Jr. is ready to come up, you now have a third baseman, assuming Mondesi can be healthy at some point. A I shortstop, will never assume that. <laughs> a shortstop and a second baseman ready to go for a long period of time. And your defense is off the charts in the infield at that point. Yeah. And I would love that to be the case. I'm still a skeptic. I still think that, you know, there's a good chance that he's just hot right now, but I will say that glimmer of hope you mentioned, it's it's t- it's always offensive for Lopez. There's no like I don't think anybody's ever said like oh I question whether you can play a good defensive second base. That's not a question for anybody. But offensively, the thing that's making that turnaround happen is he stopped hitting so many ground balls, and he is going the opposite field more right. Like and so I I questioned for the first 
two or three years he was in the major leagues, like the, the sort of two chances he's gotten previous to this. Why do you not hit the ball the other way nearly as much as you used to? Right. Like, and so now that I see him doing that and I see him like trying or getting the ball off the ground and line drives, the opposite field and things like that, playing with the defense by like slapping the ball in different directions, love to see it. Pitchers will of course adjust, but if he can sort of keep this going, keep this approach, maybe he'll prove us wrong. Maybe he will, uh, end the year in, in a really good place offensively. And we could say, Hey, Nicky Lopez looks like the second baseman of the future. I'm hoping that's the case, but I'm still skeptical that it will be. Of course, not everybody did as well as Nicky Lopez this week. A few people struggled as well. When you lose four games in a week, some people are going to struggle. And one that sort of has struggled all year, but we really haven't brought him up that much, even though he has struggled all year is Brad Keller. He played very poorly this week. He had two starts this week. 10 innings pitched. He gave up 11 earned runs in 10 innings, nine, only nine strikeouts. Well, nine strikeouts are pretty good for 10 innings, but he had four walks in those 10 innings too. And that's what really hurt him. And then what really, really hurt him was that opponents hit three ten off him this week. Um, Keller seems to be like he's having trouble in the past. Keller would get out of a lot of bad situations by getting ground ball, double plays. Now it looks like he's getting into bad situations. Guys are hitting ground balls that are finding their way through, but he's not getting those double plays. And when you're not getting double plays as a ground ball pitcher, you're in trouble because you're not, you know, he's not the type of guy who's going to, he strikes guys out, but it's, it's, he's not so dominant with it that they're going to just like tons of swing and misses all the time. So he needs to sort of get those ground ball double plays and it's not happening for him. He's giving up way too many hits. And having a lot of trouble, he's their number one starter ostensibly, and he's got an ERA somewhere in the neighborhood of six right now. People are going to start asking, what are we going to do about Brad Keller? You know, I don't have faith in Cal Eldred to fix him. I don't have faith in Cal Eldred right now really to do anything. And so do we start shopping around for a new pitching coach? Is that the answer? There's got to be, you got to find an answer for Brad Keller because they were kind of counting on him to be a useful piece of the rotation, even with the coming of Brady Singer, Chris Bubich, Jackson Kowar, Daniel Lynch, and those guys, they were counting on Keller to be an important part of the pitching staff. And right now it doesn't look like he belongs in the major leagues. Yeah. And uh, I think part of it is an identity thing. Like he's got to figure out the kind of pitcher he's going to be and sell out for that. Is he going to be the ground ball pitcher that he's been in the past and had success with and ride that? Then some of the things that he's doing don't really make sense with that. Is he going to be a strikeout guy that uses the entire zone and starts throwing high fastballs all the time? Then that may not be the, his strength. So he's got to figure out what he is. And if Cal Eldred is allowing him to kind of create this mismatch of a pitcher, then that's on him. He needs, then he's got to answer for that. Yeah, he does. And, and, it's sometimes I think that Keller knows what he wants to be. He just can't do it right now. Like, I think he knows he wants to be that ground ball guy. I think he doesn't, it's hard because he, he does have the ability to strike guys out, but I think he wants to be that ground ball guy. I think he's found out that he's not that strikeout guy, but he's just like lost now and he doesn't know how to get back to it. He doesn't know how to locate the ball in the lower third and get guys to ground the ball to his fielders. So Yes, that is on Cal Eldred in my mind. It's uh, it's on Cal Eldred that he hasn't been able to get him back to that because he needs to get back to that. He, I don't think Keller is a number one starter for a good team, but he could be a very effective four or five starter for a really good team. And then you're talking about so, like a rotation that has a guy in Brad Keller who one is very durable or has been so far in his career and can be an efficient and effective starter 
you know, somewhere major league average or above being a ground ball guy. You're not going to find, not everybody's going to be a strikeout guy. That's fine, but he needs to be effective in the lower third. And the fact that Keller or Cal Eldred can't get him back to being effective in the lower third, I think speaks to the limitations of Cal Eldred as your pitching coach. The guy that I'm going to talk about uh, that struggled this week is uh, Kelvin Gutierrez. And I think we've kind of seen this coming as, as we all know what he can do for a team defensively and what he's done for the Royals defensively. He is solid at third. Now he made a really silly error on the first batter of the day today, lost a ball in the sun. HUD pointed out something quite simple and elementary that he should have been wearing sunglasses, but he, he is solid over there at third defensively. The problem is the guy can't hit. Right now, the guy hits a ton of ground balls. He was three for 22 this week, six strikeouts and four. He did have four walks, so he's been walking a little bit more than he normally does. But you and I both say this. Every single time he gets up with guy on base, here comes the double play because he hits the ball on the ground so much. It is a crazy amount of ground balls. The reason I kind of bring this up too is because uh, there's a guy in AAA for, uh, what is his name? Help me out. Emmanuel Rivera. Yeah, Manuel Rivera, who's playing third for Omaha right now, who is killing it offensively. And he would be a drop defensively, but we got nothing else to lose. So I think at some point, you probably you probably see somebody else come up and play some third base just to take a look at him. If it's, you know, I don't know if it's Bobby Witt Jr. this year, unless it's September, but maybe it is Emmanuel Rivera at some point. Yeah, uh, I think it'd be great for Rivera to give a look. Everyone who knows anything about Kelvin Gutierrez, knew that this was coming. He was hot in like his first few games with the Royals offensively, but everybody knew that those ground balls were just finding finding holes and that wasn't going to continue to happen. Um, and so Gutierrez is such a weird player because if he hit the ball in the air more, he could be a very good everyday major league player, but he cannot get the ball off the ground. And so he's one of those guys who I think would really benefit. If I were him, I would be asking the Royals, can I go work with Mike Tozar and those guys down in Florida that Salvi works with and Jorge Soler and those guys work with? Because they seem to be capable of getting guys to optimize their uh, launch angle to really get the ball off the ground and start hitting more line drives. And that's what he really needs because that's like the one thing holding him back from reaching his potential is his ability to hit the ball in the air. Mike, as we sort of look at a Royals week that was a little bit Jekyll and Heidi, what do you think is the theme that emerges for you for this week? Well, I see this week as, as a letdown. You get, you, you get swept by the Tigers. It's a letdown. Now, it is a positive that you take a series from the Red Sox, but it's a letdown in more ways than one. I'm kind of let down by some of their play and stuff, but the injuries are killer. Losing yeah. Odyssey again today, losing um, Benintendi early in the week. Uh, we're running out of productive guys, especially offensively. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, we, we've already talked about the fact that maybe just three guys were carrying their offense. Well, one of those guys is down now. You get Mondi back, you think maybe you have somebody else to do it, and he may be gone again. So, Royals Weekly listeners, were any of you JV All-Stars at baseball? Yeah. Potentially signed for the Royals and come, sh come just throw a few innings, take a few at-bats. We need you. We need we something. Need we, I mean, we're, right now we're, we're going to be filling in, guys. I mean, who hit five today? Gutierrez. Was it Gutierrez? Today. Oh. Fifth for the Royals today, unreal. Like you, we're you don't out want of bodies that. at this point. So yeah, yeah, um, it's it's getting rough. Get ready for the Ryan O'Hearn call up and the 
the Ryan McBroom call up and everybody else is going to be getting called up. Because All the Ryans are getting called up. Exactly. Every 4A player we have in AAA is going to be on the Royals roster at some point. So I feel let down because if you don't get a chance to watch Adalberto Mondesi play in a Royals lineup, you're watching a lesser lineup. You're watching a less fun game. And I want to see him in there. And it looks like maybe at least for a small period of time, that may not happen. Yeah, I think that's a really excellent point. And those injuries are really what do it for me. Like, I, I don't expect the Royals to win all that frequently. And so, like, you know, the fact that they got swept by the Tigers was tough. But getting to watch them play well against the Red Sox sort of made up for that for me. I do a lot of recency bias. And so, but those injuries, man, they're just... They're really tough on us. Um, but I sort of took a more positive look at the week. And I, I just said, we see what they could be. We see what they could be when Adalberto Mondesi is in the lineup. We see what they could be when they are playing solid defense, when they get solid started pitching from like Mike Miner, like they did today. We see what they could be when they play consistently. And it's really good. It's a good, fun brand of baseball. But it just happens so infrequently because one, Mondesi plays so infrequently, and two, they're just not a consistent team right now. I think their young pitchers are still learning to be consistent in the way that, say, a Mike Miner is. And that's going to take some time. Uh, I know it's hard to preach patience to a fan base. Uh, I know I see a lot of people on Twitter being extremely emotional and getting very frustrated. But you know what? It's got to be patience. You want you want a young, exciting team, then you're going to have to be patient with them. You want to. <laughs> it's like when you're in a relationship that's extremely volatile. Yeah, it's like a roller coaster, right? It's like a roller coaster, but it's going to be frustrating sometimes. High highs, low lows, right? That's sort of how it goes. Okay. Too much ha ha. Pretty soon, boo hoo. <laughs> yes. If you like what you're hearing, please make sure to subscribe, rate, and review us on whatever platform you use. Subscribing, rating, and reviewing helps people find the show and helps us build a larger community. If you leave us a five-star rating and good review, we'll make sure to give you a shout-out and read a snippet of your review on the next show. Also, follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Royals Weekly. We tweet during almost every game, so you can get all this fresh insight for free by simply following us. Today is June 20th, which means we're about five weeks out from the trade deadline which is set for July 30th this year. We're at that time when trades start trickling in before they really take off in a couple of weeks. So don't be surprised if you hear a couple of major league deals go down for like uh, major league relievers or some fringy prospects or something like that. Uh, up to this point, people, including us, have debated about whether the Royals should be buyers, sellers, or do-nothingers at the deadline. But I think the question has really been answered over the course of the last couple of weeks. The Royals are now six games under 500, 10 games back in the AL Central. I think the last couple of weeks have pushed us definitively into the seller territory. Mike, do you agree? I do, um, especially when you can start to consider, and we went over this a few episodes ago, you have to consider that their August schedule is insane hard. Um, we go against many, many, many teams over 500, a lot of teams that are going to be in playoff contention and teams that have the ability to trade for a lot of people and probably will before that trade deadline. So not to mention, uh, you have to look kind of outside of our division for some of those teams that will be battling for the wild card spots in the American League. And those teams are ve very good. The AL East is very deep. The AL West is kind of deep. Um, and so, yeah, it's going to be really tough to even fight for wild card spots uh, if you're 10 games out in the Central even. So with that in mind, we wanted to take some time to talk about trade scenarios that we think might benefit the Royals as they look to move some of their tradable pieces and set themselves up to compete maybe next year or hopefully really in 2023. I think 
if everything goes right, they could be in that 500, maybe fringy wildcard uh, spot for next year. But 2023 is where they're really eyeballing like, okay, Witt will have hopefully a season under his belt. Uh, the, the pitching will be, you know, seasoned a little bit more. You know, they'll have a, a sort of the roster that they wanted to have come 2023. Uh, to begin with, though, we have to answer a few basic questions about the Royals uh, and the trade deadline. And I think the first one is, who should the Royals be looking to trade? So there are a lot of factors that go into like who is a potential trade candidate in baseball, but kind of the biggest ones are who is going to be a free agent after this year. And those players kind of include uh, Michael A. Taylor, Jorge Soler, Gerard Dyson, Greg Holland, and Danny Duffy. So you have a pool. Now, some of those players dealing with injury issues, some effectiveness issues. So that'll factor in. We'll talk about that here in a second. Then you also have to think about who's going to be a free agent after next season, because you can get more value for a player who has more time on their contract. Mike Miner, Carlos Santana, and Andrew Benintendi are three players whose contracts will be up at the end of next year. Um, I think those three players represent kind of the bulk of the value you have in tradable pieces because the guys who are free agents after this year are going to be uh, our rent. We call them rentals. You and I that you're just getting them for that four month stretch or three month stretch, whatever it is at the end of the season. To be clear, everyone calls them rentals. Okay. So everybody does. That's not, that's not, a, that's not a Mark and Mike thing. Everybody calls them <laughs> rentals. Um, yeah, I, I did want to throw in. I think Irv is also a guy who has some trade value at this point because he's pitched so well this year. He is 38 years old, so teams would really just be getting him as a rental. Nobody's looking long term at a 38 year old pitcher. Um, but he only he was he was signed on a one year deal, so he's he's also got a uh, potential as a, as a trade piece as well. I wanted to point out that some of these guys are less likely than others to be traded, of course, right? So we have this pool of maybe like six to eight players. We have to think about things like who has value, like meaning who do other teams want? Um, and then who maybe is hurt? You can't trade injured players. And you know who has more time on their contracts? All these things factor in into like whether or not people are going to actually want these players. I think we could look at a guy like Santana and a guy like Benintendi and a guy like Miner as very highly uh, attractive trade pieces because they have the extra year on their contracts. Miner even has a team option for the year after that. And, and then because they've been really effective. So Miner has been a really effective pitcher for the Royals. Santana has been a really effective first baseman. Benintendi has been really effective. Now he's hurt right now, so they'd have to wait for him to get back. So those are some guys that I think could really bring in a lot of value for the Royals. Taylor, Solaire, Dyson, Holland, Duffy, and Irv, that's a little tougher because they would just be three-month players for whatever team got them or two-month players. Taylor and Solaire haven't been super effective. Taylor looks more like a fourth outfielder for a competing team. Uh, Solaire, I don't know what the hell is going on with him. His trade value has to be in you know underground at this point. Um, and so it's going to be really tough to move him. Dyson is actually a really attractive trade piece to me because he could be a fourth outfielder who can also be effective weapon pinch running. And he's just played really well offensively this year. And so that's going to help his trade value, uh, especially for teams like uh, maybe National League teams. A lot of National League teams might be looking at him as somebody who could be really effective for him off the bench as they sort of make a run at a, at a playoff spot. Holland has been pretty effective off uh, as a relief piece. They could trade him for uh, people are always looking for bullpen arms. Duffy's the tough one because one, he's like a Royals guy, you know, 
He sp- supposedly loves Kansas City, loves the Royals, you know, wants to stay with the team forever. The team loves him. He's, you know, but he was extremely effective before he got hurt. So if he comes back and gets a few starts in and it looks like he's going to be extremely effective again, he could have a lot of value as a trade piece, even as a rental, because he's a starter, you know? And so that could be really effective or that could be a really effective trade piece if the Royals were willing to be that transactional. We're willing to say, we're willing to give up Danny Duffy, despite the fact that he's like a tentpole member of this franchise, we're willing to trade him. If they're that transactional, they could probably get a good haul for him. Yeah. And he's, he's like kind of the wild card in the bunch. How much do you trust a guy who's had injury issues, been injured this year, been very effective this year, but is also, you know, on the wrong side of 30. Um, Yeah. So eh, I'm not sure his value is all that high, to be honest with you. Um, I think it is as a rental. I don't think teams would be looking at him as like a long-term starting solution because especially contending teams, because he isn't that reliable and you're not sure whether or not you could get an extension done with him. If Duffy gets traded, then he almost certainly will hit free agency because he could make more money doing that Mm -hmm. than he could signing an extension with some team. Yeah. The other guy that I think is really uh, attractive is Mike Miner because of the consistency that he's shown. Um, he has pitched out of the bullpen too. If for some reason you end up going into the playoffs and he's not one of your top three, you can put him in the bullpen for your playoff run or something like that. So I think he's probably the guy that is most attractive in that group to me. Yeah. And the ultimate question that Dayton Moore has to ask himself and will be asking himself is who of these players do we see as capable of helping us in our next window? Right. And so some of these guys, they don't really fit that profile. Carlos Santana is 35 years old. He's probably not going to help you in your next window. Ben Intendi is going to be a free agent. And how likely do you think it is that he signs with the Royal, an extension with the Royals? It's pretty long, pretty long shot that he signs an extension with the Royals. So he's probably not going to. So do you trade him now and get that value now or wait another year, see if you can compete next year and then get less for him next year if you don't compete. That's the question he has to ask himself. The second question to sort of consider at large about the Royals, the trade deadline is what should the Royals be targeting? What are they going to be looking for in return for some of these players or a package of these players or even a package of those players and maybe a a pitching prospect for the Royals or something like that as they sort of try and position themselves to compete in 2022, but mostly 2023. I think the really important thing that we need to be thinking about in terms of what are they targeting is they're targeting targeting controllable players. They need prospects who are maybe near major league ready or kind of close to major league ready, but who they're going to have six years of control over, who they're going to really be able to stick with them throughout their window. Like it doesn't make sense to make a trade for a guy like Ben Intendi, who's only going to be here through 2022, right? They want people for 2023, 2024, 2025, who are going to be there alongside Bobby Witt Jr. to sort of help the Royals and those young pitchers to help the Royals compete in their next window. They probably don't need starting pitching because they have all the starting pitching prospects they would ever need. They probably don't need a catcher. They probably don't need a shortstop. Right, because they have so many prospects in the pipeline at those positions. So those are sort of anybody who is controllable, who is not a starting pitcher, a catcher, or a shortstop, I would think that they would be targeting as a prospect. Yeah. So you and I last week talked about what kind of position they should be targeting in the draft. This is a situation where if you go out and you get something in the outfield, center field specifically, it maybe can alter or change what you need to do in the draft or vice versa. If you go and get something in the draft in that 
in that spot in center field or outfield, or you load up in the draft that way, then when you turn to the trade market, you're not then looking for that position group as much. Um, so both of these things will play into each other. What can I get out there? Um, if I really like the market of prospects uh, in the outfield that I can trade for, then maybe I don't have, then I can just go with a player like a Kumar Rocker in the first round where I don't, where I think, Hey, yeah, he's a starting pitcher and I have a, a ton of those, but I'm already secure in the outfield. If not, then you probably have to look maybe at somebody who can end up ultimately playing outfield for you. So uh, a lot of things to consider here, a lot of moving parts when it comes to trade deadline and draft. Yeah, absolutely. And the fact that the draft is happening later this year really makes it even that much more complicated, right? So it's happening in July and the trade deadlines in July, all this sort of stuff is happening at one time, but you're absolutely right. If they decide in their minds that they want to make a trade for an outfielder and they want a good outfield prospect, so they're going to give up a few of their trade pieces, but also maybe one of their starting pitching prospects to get a, a good you know, center field prospect or a good outfield prospect, then maybe they don't feel the need to necessarily uh, load up in the draft with some outfield prospects. That's a really, really excellent point. I have uh, put together a list of some prospects that I think might do well for the Royals. Now, obviously, this is highly speculative. The odds that the Royals trade for any of these prospects, less than 1%. But this gives you a sense of the kind of prospect I would hope that the Royals would be targeting as they sort of think about what will set them up to compete down the road. One of them is a guy named Mike Ciani. He's a the number five prospect in the Reds organization, a center fielder, 21 years old. Uh, he's he's a good fielder. He's struggled a little bit with strikeouts. His strikeout rate's a little high, but he's a good on-base guy. He walks a lot. He has the athleticism necessary to play a good center field. And that's sort of the, the archetype you're going to see for a lot of these guys is they have to be able to play defensive center field uh, if, if they're going to be a, a trade target for the Royals in the outfield, because that's really where they're, they're weak right now. After Michael A. Taylor is gone, it's a big question mark who's going to play center field for them. And so we'll see uh, if they can find one in, in this trade before the trade deadline. Another guy I think that could feel those uh, center field shoes is a guy named uh, Luis Matos. He's a 19-year-old outfielder, number seven in the Giants organization. He's a little further away than Siani, maybe, um, but He's just solid across the board, a lot of really good tools. And I think he has a little physical development left in him as he's only 19. He just turned 19 or he turned 19 in January. So he won't be 20 until next January. Um, he doesn't strike out too much, only like 13%. He doesn't walk a ton either, like six or 7% there. But I see if, if he continues to develop, he's also an efficient base dealer, which I really like. I think he's something like 13 uh, stolen bases this year and only two caught stealing. That's a really good, uh, efficient level there. He clearly knows how to steal bases. He's not just athletic. And so I'd like that that's a guy that they would seemingly be able to get with some of these uh, if the Giants who are leading the NL West right now, shockingly, right? Like there's a in, in a division with the Dodgers and the Padres, the Giants are leading the NL West. You got to imagine they're going to be looking to bring in pieces to bolster that roster as they make a push to win the NL East or the NL West. So Luis Matos is a guy number seven in their organization that the Royals might be able to, to get with a few of their pieces, the Carlos Santana and Andrew Benintendi, a Mike Miner, that sort of thing. A third prospect that I kind of have, uh, this is kind of more of a pipe dream for me, uh, but Josh Lowe is a 23-year-old outfielder. He's number 10 in the Rays organization. These are all based on MLB pipeline, by the way. But the younger brother of Nate Lowe, 
The Rays are such a good organization for developing prospects. He's already in AAA, so we don't got to worry about the Royals messing him up or something with development because <laughs> he's already almost at the major league level, and he has just been crushing the ball. There were some concerns about whether or not he would hit enough to make it at the major league level. He's a great defender, former first-round pick, athletic guy, big guy. He's really big for somebody who can play center field, um, but he has just been found his hitting stroke and been crushing it at AAA. And I love to get a guy from the Rays organization who does a, such a good job developing guys' approaches offensively. I think that would be great to be able to get someone like him, former first-round pick, but they might have to give up, say, one of those top pitching prospects along with some of their trade pieces. Like I would say like uh, a Santana or a Mike Miner and a Alec Marsh or and a Jonathan Boland, who they probably couldn't trade right now, but and a, you know, uh, Heasley, maybe Heasley, or even maybe a Daniel Lynch. They might want something like that in order to get Josh Lowe, but who knows? Those are the type of guys that I'm sort of love in the outfield for the Royals. There are a whole bunch of other guys, guys I probably haven't even found who could be outfield uh, options for them. But I think that's really an area they need to target as they sort of look towards the future and who these trade pieces might go for. Uh, they also might need to look at a corner infielder. Right now, they're real weak at third base, unless you're counting Bobby Witt Jr. as a third baseman. And it's a real question mark at first base, too, because, yes, Nick Prado is playing really well at double A, but you can't count on one guy to be your savior at any position. The attrition rate is just too high for any baseball player. So you want to get a little bit better at the corner infield. And there's a there's a prospect for the Arizona or for the um, St. Louis Cardinals, number six prospect in their organization, a 19 year old third baseman named Jordan Walker, former first round pick, really athletic, big, strong guy. Um, he's been crushing it so far in high A. He might have to. Uh, we might have to give up something significant for him. But they also have Nolan Gorman, who's a third baseman for them. So he's Walker's sort of blocked a little bit. Because uh, uh, Gorman is sort of the more highly thought of prospect, uh, so I'd wonder if they'd be willing to give up him for a nice package of uh, maybe uh, some of the major league pieces and a prospect. Yeah, the real question for the Cardinals is: Are they going to be in a place that they're buying a bunch at the trade deadline? Are they going to kind of be out of it, or in a place where they're just standing still? You know, we'll have to see. Yeah, we'll some of these, see how many, some how many these... teams are still in it. That's a big factor. So. Yeah, some of these teams are a little bit fringier uh, in terms of their ability to compete. Right now, the Cardinals are only one game over 500, three and a half back in the Central. But that means the Central is pretty open. You're only three and a half back. It's still you know June. If they think they can make a push or they start playing a little bit better, then you know they're right in it for either a wild card or a um, or a chance to win that division. And you got to take your chances, as we learned last time. You got to take your chances when they come. And so hopefully the, the Cardinals or one of these sort of fringy teams will have something that the Royals uh, or will have something that the Royals want and then will want something the Royals have and give them a chance to set themselves up to compete moving forward. The Royals are on the road for six games this week against the Yankees and Rangers. They got their chance to be at home. Now they got to leave for another long road trip. And this week we'll start it. Mike, tell us a little bit about the Yankees, how they're the worst and the evil empire, and we hate them. Um, and then uh, tell us what they're going to be doing. Well, you, throws this week. you really summed it up. They are the worst. The they are worst. the worst. Um, you know, you'll be a Yankees fan. You terrible Aaron, person. Aaron Judge like strangling baby seals. I've heard with his bare hands. Oh yeah, that's what uh, he does as a hobby. That's his. And that's his, Garrett uh, Cole, we all know, is just a cheater. So cheating yeah. bastard. Yeah. So uh, yeah. But no, we'll we'll start with the Yankees, who struggled early on in the year. They're at thirty-eight and thirty-three now, though they're third in a deep AL East, 
four and a half games back from the Red Sox. Start out that series probably with uh, Brady Singer versus Garrett Cole. That's going to be a, a, a tough draw. That's a That's maybe, a maybe because, of course, maybe. Singer was pulled from his last start. Though yeah. Matheny has said he'll make his next one, so we'll see. We'll see, and and then we'll have to see with uh, some shoulder tightness, if I'm not mistaken, right? Is that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so hopefully Singer is able to go, and hopefully he looks good against with a tough matchup in Garrett Cole and a tough offense for the Yankees that he'll be going against. Garrett Cole, obviously, hope I think a lot of you guys know, has been one of the better pitchers in Major League Baseball for the last five years-ish. He's also a sticky substance enthusiast. If yes, you know he, he loves the sticky stuff, um, <laughs> but he's got a 2.31 ERA and a whip that's under one, and he's really, really good at throwing baseballs. So in the next game, we think it will be an opportunity for Chris Bubich to start. However, the last time he pitched in a significant portion of a game was the game that they uh, started with an opener. They started Kyle Zimmer uh, for the game who did a really good job opening the game. And then Bubich came in for a longer stretch after that. Uh, it looks like Michael King will possibly be going for the Yankees in that second game. He's a right-handed pitcher out of Boston college. He's only had four starts um, and he's got an ERA around four. So he's a guy that you might be able to get to in that Yankees rotation. Um, mostly a sinker pitcher, but he'll throw in uh, a four-seam fastball and a curveball occasionally. He's got a good uh, cutter and a changeup as well. Okay, in that last game of the Yankees series, it looks like it's going to line up for uh, Brad Keller versus Jamison Tyon, uh, 29-year-old right-handed pitcher. You guys may have remembered when he was taken number two overall by Pittsburgh out of high school. A lot of high hopes for him. A lot of great stuff in his arsenal, but he's uh, not been able to put it together really well at the Major League level. He's got a 5.59 ERA and a 1.3 whip, so there may be an opportunity there to uh, get to him in that last game. Uh, got to hope that you win two out of three in this in this one. Going to be tough to win the Garrett Cole start, but you got to hope that you win two out of three from the Yankees. Yeah, I think there's an opportunity to take two with Tyon and uh, King going, but we'll see if if the Royals can get uh, enough pitching going in that in that series to to actually take two out of three from a good team in the Kansas City or in the Kansas City in the New York Yankees. The second series for this week will be a, a three game set against the Texas Rangers. The Rangers are not a good team. They're 25 and 46, 18 games back of the Astros right now in the AL West. You may remember the opening series that we had against the Rangers where the Rangers came out and they hit a whole bunch. They look like they might be an offensive force this year. They have not looked like that since then. They're averaging only 3.8 runs per game. They are next to last in on-base percentage at 2.98. Uh, they're 22nd in team ERA as well. They're not really good. Mike wrote in our rundown tanking question mark. Probably <laughs> they look like they're tanking, don't they? I mean, that, if and, a team and, ever looked like they were trying to lose, I tell you. And they've got maybe two or three guys you would consider major league hitters. You know, like and, and that was even at the beginning of the year. I mean, they hit really well in that series against us. But you looked at that lineup and went, you know, it's like that that. Thing from major league i haven't even heard of any of these guys like uh, it's, <laughs> this guy's dead this guy's dead like that's that's exactly <laughs> what this is it's it's they're not really a major league roster so you have to think if you have a case for somebody tanking this year it's probably the rangers and yeah that's kind of sad because yeah, they have like a brand new stadium don't they <laughs> i am not really sure but yeah. they're definitely going to be picking in the top five uh next year probably and so yeah we don't have any probable starters for that one but 
that is a real chance for the Royals to take two of three, if not three of three, because the Rangers be bad. Yeah. So uh, hopefully they get things done against the Rangers and uh, we get a, a winning week this week. We'll end this week's episode like we end every week's episode with our Just A Bit Outside segment, where we talk about something that is interesting to us outside of baseball this week. Mike, as always, you're going to kick it off. Tell us what is interesting to you outside of baseball this week. Well, I was actually going to put you, you and my, uh, we, you and our, you and I, you and our, our, our trip to Springdale, yeah. Arkansas to watch the Northwest Arkansas Naturals, but that is baseball related. So Mark and I are going to go do that. It's going to be fun. Hopefully all everybody's still there um, when we get there, but that's baseball. Yeah, the, day bef- the day before we, we watch the, we're going on Thursday. I'm sure on Wednesday, Nick Prado, MJ Melendez and uh, Bobby Wood Jr. will all be promoted to Omaha. <laughs> oh, if that happens, I'm going to be so pissed. Um, so the thing I'm really interested in now, and you and I got the opportunity to do this the other day, sitting down and eating at a restaurant. Man, it's been fun doing that again. Like you and I dropped my car off for an oil change the other day. We walked to an IHOP and sat down and ate. Yeah, we like IHOP. What's up? Love IHOP. Um, and Live it was so IHOP. awesome to just sit there and have a good meal and take your time and do whatever you want and not worry about uh, who was breathing on you and whatnot. Um, and then today I'll get I got married in IHOP. Yeah, you will. All right. <laughs> um, not have you know. And now. Today, I went and did it again, and it's like, man, this is what I missed. And I think you even said it when we were at breakfast. Like, this is one of the things I miss the most during the pandemic. So get out there and, and support your local restaurants. Don't go to IHOP. Don't go to the chain places. Go to some local restaurant that you have, a small business owner, and uh, help them out by sitting down and having a good meal. I would do it here in I town just, at, yeah. at Stewie's, but they never have any friggin' tables because that place is always packed now. Yeah, Stewie's, if you want to advertise on our show, we love you. So we'll yeah. let you. Stewie, uh, Stewie McBrews and Lee Summit. It's good stuff. It's just amazing. But yeah, that's what I missed most during the pandemic was the ability. To, I like the communal experience of like sitting down, even if they're with people you see every day or like with your girlfriend or significant other or whatever. Just doing that. There's something about doing it in a different setting where you get to see other people and interact with the server and things like that. I just love the ritualistic nature of sitting down in a restaurant and going through all the sort of you know, looking at the menu, getting your drinks. I love that. And I missed it so much. It was great to get out and do it at IHOP, which I will be buried in. Um, and so, yeah, the thing that I've been interested in is the notion of neighborhoods. Mike and I went on a walk the other day, uh, walking his dog, and we started to sort of talk about like what it means to have a neighborhood and, and what we like neighborhoods to be like. And it reminded me of this trip I took to London, where like, I stayed in this neighborhood that was very much a neighborhood. Like, I don't know that the neighbors knew each other. I really have no interest in knowing my neighbors most of the time, but it was cool because there was like a park. There were like communal spaces in this neighborhood. There was the local pub. There was the grocery stores that you could walk to. There was a park right across the street from where we were staying, a nice one. And you could see people going out to it all the time. There were these places where people could sort of gather and do things in the, in, uh, in the company of their neighbors, of the other people who live around them. And I just, I love those sorts of things. And so I hope as I sort of look for a new house moving forward, that the, the neighborhood that I live in will have the type of spaces where people can go out and just exist in that neighborhood, like local restaurants or local bars or local parks and things like that, uh, dog parks, trails to walk, that sort of thing, where even though I don't have to necessarily interact with my neighbors, like talk to them, get to know them, I can sort of say like, hey, we're, uh, we're all people sort of spinning around on this great big rock together it's nice to see you out in public doing fun things 
Uh, yeah, I live in Greenwood, Missouri, and the the central point of our entire town is our park. And so we there will be nights when there are you know hundreds and hundreds of people in this park um, watching or playing baseball games, doing other things, eating at the food trucks that now congregate there on a nice li- nightly basis. Yeah, it's it's I, I enjoy having those spaces as well. It's very idyllic, and I like that. Yeah, uh, Mayberry baby mayberry son um and so yeah thank you for watching or for watching man i don't know if i slept enough today or what but you got a brain problem the words don't want to come out of my mouth hole the right way today (laughs) um thank you for listening to royals weekly if you were able to watch it you're probably creeping on us we hope you had a great time we hope you subscribe rate and review and mostly enjoy royals baseball go royals 